I was right about one thing. You guys are a lot less intimidating than Jeff and Troy. <laughs> but for those of you who don't know me, my name is Bryce. I'm usually the guy back there in that booth controlling this doohickey because I tend to thrive in that out of sight, out of mind environment. But, you know, life has a sense of humor. Here we are. So anyways, I think the Lord has something to say tonight. So let's just get started. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles up to 2 Timothy 1. And what we'll be looking at is the first thing that Paul asks of Timothy in this book anyways. We'll be seeing some details about Timothy's ministry, the gift of that ministry, and the gifts that come along with that ministry, as well as ways that that applies to us. So read along with me, starting in verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So what, we do, what we'll be doing is going verse by verse and taking a brief look at each of those verses, as well as the phrasing in those verses. So the first point that we have in your first blank is your ministry. But what is ministry? When most people think of it, their minds probably go to that call to ministry, which, which is like being a pastor or a missionary or something. And that's not exactly wrong. Like Corey had mentioned last week, Timothy's ministry was to lead the church of Ephesus. In the Bible, though, it has a much simpler meaning, one that can apply to most everyone here. With the first two, with the first two mentions of the word minister in the Bible, we see Joshua being the minister of Moses in Exodus 24, 13. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua, and Moses went, in, went up into the mount of God. And if you look a little further, a handful of chapters, the Bible actually shows what it meant for Joshua to minister to Moses. So look in, ex, look, look in Exodus 33:11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend, which is super cool, by the way. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So Joshua served Moses, a man of God. And in the, second in the second mention of minister, in Exodus 28, God is speaking to Moses, and he says in verse 1, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother, and his sons with him, from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. So ministry, then, is simply devoting your time to serving God and God's people. And there are many different ways that you can do that. But let's get back to the verses. So verse 6 starts with the word wherefore, which calls back to something that was just said, something Corey said last week in verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So then we could read verse 6 like, because of that unfeigned faith, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And so your next point is that in regards to your ministry, it is stirred by faith. And so I'm sure a lot of you have heard the phrase, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That's because by faith, they understand that God wants something said or done. And regardless of whether or not they feel qualified, they surrender themselves as vessels to carry out God's will. One example of this is Moses himself in Exodus 3.11 at the burning bush. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? A lot of you, I'm sure, know the story and probably know that Moses had about a thousand reasons not to go. But at the end of the day, he did. 
And because of that, we have the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Another example is the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.6. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Then Amos, in Amos 7.14 and 15, Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. And lastly, even Paul, who wrote this letter to Timothy in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All of these men, for one reason or another, didn't feel like they were all that much. But because of their faith to do God's work, we have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Amos, and like half of your New Testament. However, it's not like those books wouldn't exist if they hadn't had that faith to follow God. Jeremiah and Amos could be named after different people, and Moses and Paul likely wouldn't be the stars of their books. You see, God gave them their ministries as a gift, and that's your next point. In regards to your ministry, it's a gift. So like I just said, they could have walked away from the Lord, but in doing so, they would have lost that opportunity to be the Lord's spokesperson. And of course, if they did, God would still have communicated what he needed to through someone else, because he's God. He doesn't need us specifically. He gives us, he gives us the gift of ministry so that we have the chance to glorify him and his body, the church. <clears throat> the ministry that, Paul, that Timothy sorry, was given was the church of Ephesus, and because he was leading a church, it was a bit more official, and it required that putting on of my hands that Paul mentioned. Corey touched on it a little bit last week with 1 Timothy 4.14, 4, 4, so I won't spend much time on it, but the same thing also happened to Paul in the beginning of Acts chapter 13. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, later Paul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. So what it is, is just a symbolic transfer of authority to someone called by God, and to show that both the church, the church body, and the leaders support it and understand it. We saw it here fairly recently with Kale Horvath and his ministry to Hungary, and Matt Brocker with Northside in Columbus. For Moses, Jeremiah, Amos, and Paul, they were, call- they were all called specifically by God to serve. Timothy was charged by Paul and given the authority by church elders. We, likewise, are told through the Bible to teach the word to others. In 2 Timothy 2.2, so they can teach others also, and together exponentially grow the body of Christ. The verse says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. I won't say more on that verse, though, because you'll be hearing about it specifically in a few weeks. But since we learned about our ministry and what it means for us, next we'll look at the gifts given to us to help us minister. So point two in your next blank is your spirit. And in verse 7, we see the dichotomy of the spirits that we can minister under. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the first one that we see, and the one that's not given by God, is the spirit of fear. And what is fear? Well, as Master Yoda would put it, <laughs> fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. For real, for real though, for real though, ministry is something that's stirred by faith for a reason. Fear comes when you lack that faith and try to do it in your own power. Interestingly enough, we just came back from a camp that was all about fear and living the fearless life. And the biggest thing that Justin said that stuck out to me was the first mention of fearless in the Bible in Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So picture yourself going into one of those old-timey battles where they still use swords and shields. If you were going to bring a shield with you, you'd want one that, ha that you had complete faith in, right? Because you're literally depending on it to stop what's attacking you. So likewise, in the spiritual battle that we live in, you'd want a shield that you can have faith in. A shield of faith, if you will. Ephesians 6.16. This is a shield that you know you can place between you and what you fear, because you can be sure that God will deliver you or provide the means to deliver you. If you're like me and you fear public speaking, raise your shield. <laughs> God's word won't, won't return void, according to Isaiah 55, 11. More practically, also take steps to be better equipped for it. There are people here who can teach you. Or, if you fear preaching something wrong, raise your shield. Trust in, trust in the spirit that God has given to teach you, and trust in the men and women that God has given you as leaders, who are more experienced and can help you rightly divide the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2:15. Like, that's the whole reason I'm up here today. Because faithful leaders invested in me and taught me how to separate myself from that fear. And in doing that, it let me trust in the spirit that God has given us. The spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind, or the spirit of God. And with power being the first of the three, we'll look at that one. Most of the mentions of power in the Bible are referencing the power of God, which isn't very surprising, but when it comes to the power that talks about us, there's really only one that comes to my mind. And that's the one found in John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, that, to, even to them that believe on his name. And if you don't have that type of power, then you don't have access to any of the, any of the spirit of God that, we're, that we've been talking about. But the good news is that the gospel is incredibly simple. The first thing to do is to acknowledge that you're a sinner, because we all are, and sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then understand that because you're a sinner, the wage or payment of that sin is death, eternal death in hell. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, this gift being salvation, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the way to claim that gift because it's not a gift until you choose to, to willingly receive it, is found in Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And if that's a decision that you would want to make, or if you have any questions about it, 
please talk to one of us or the person who brought you or your group leader afterwards. We'd love to walk you through what it means. And then after you've been saved, you're given the Holy Spirit of promise. You see that in Ephesians 1.13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed, ye are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That Holy Spirit in us is what teaches us the word of God, helping us to understand those truths so that we can teach them to others. 1 Corinthians 2.13 which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now contrast that with the natural or unsaved man in verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And if I could add on as a tag, if you're saved and you're still having a hard time understanding the Bible, Pray and ask the Spirit to help teach you while you're reading, and you'll be surprised what can come of it. Next, we'll see the second part, which is love. And from the very beginning, love was sacrificial. We see that in Genesis 22, too. And he, and he, God, said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, and if you read further, you'll see that he didn't actually have to go through with it. But Abraham did make that difficult decision because his love for God surpassed all other things. This word love in 2 Timothy 7 is also translated as charity in a bunch of other places. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 gives us what charity looks like. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And that's love according to the Bible. It's a stark contrast from the perversion of love found in the world. In the Bible, love is what can I do for you? In the world, it's what do you do for me? Right. In the Bible, love endures. In the world, it's fleeting. In the Bible, love is a decision, not just a feeling. It's sacrificial. It doesn't disappear as soon as you have to sacrifice. But most importantly, in the Bible, love is of God, not of the flesh. And lastly, we'll look at sound mind. Webster's 1828 defines sound in this verse as right, correct, well-founded, free from error. A concept you also see in a cross-reference in Titus 2, 6 and 7, where Paul says, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. A sound mind founded in Christ shows stability, sincerity, and purity in doctrine. It avoids divisions, according to 1 Corinthians 1.10, and because our minds are all conformed to Christ's image, the verse continues that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And without that sound mind in Christ, we would be compared to children, like we see in Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, 
A minister with that repertoire would be no minister at all. Because if you've ever spoken to a child before, you'll know they believe just about anything you tell them. Because they're still young and they're impressionable. That's why they generally aren't put in charge of anything. <laughs> the importance of being joined in the same mind under Christ is that we'll be able to focus as a body on serving each other and serving God instead of being divided, carried about with every wind of doctrine, and left trying to convince everyone else why we're right instead of the other guy, causing division and separation in the church. So as we wrap up and prepare to go to our groups, consider your ministry and how you treat it. Who can you minister to, and by what spirit are you ministering? In the spirit of fear, doing things by yourself, or in the spirit of God, following by faith instead of your own abilities? And reflect again on the question posed last week. In what ways will heaven look different because of your ministry here on earth? So let's pray, and Corey will come up to dismiss us. Oh, Lord, just thank you so much for this opportunity, and thank you for your word, for our ability to read it and to study it and to just hold it in our hands, Lord. Thank you for preserving it perfectly and just giving it to us. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ, for the fellowship that we have. And I pray that tonight as we go into small groups that the conversations will be fruitful and that you'll be able to work through us and just help us to love on each other and help us grow, just each of us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us, and thank you for these people, and thank you again for your word. In, in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen.